All right, good morning. Welcome to Journey Church. Feel free to make your way to a seat. It might not even be the seat that you, that you sat in already. Hey, my name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at Journey Church. Thanks for, for joining us. Thanks for being here in this place. Thanks for, for gathering for, for an hour or so. Um, it's good to be home. I'm just going to hit a couple announcements, and then we're going to jump right into the Word uh, this morning. But the only other thing I really want to talk about, well, sorry, two other things. One is, again, if you are maybe newer to Journey Church, if you've visited a handful of times, maybe you've been here for a handful of months, and, and you're still just kind of wanting to learn more about who we are, we want to invite you to a, what we're calling a, a Meet the Family Lunch. And that's going to be on Sunday, March 13th, right after church. We'll go over to Smockville, and, and they'll provide us with some, some great food, a, a nice lunch. So if you're interested in, in that, um, well, Email Mitchell at journeysherwood.org. He's not here today, but you can email him anyway. Um, but you can also find, I think that you'll find it on our, we- our website or in our newsletter. If you haven't signed up for a newsletter, you can go back and sign up for there on the connection card. See how that happened? Um, but we'd love to have you join us for that if you want to learn more about Journey Church. And then the last thing, maybe the, the most important thing for us just to be on the same page about as we head into this week is that Wednesday is, is Ash Wednesday, right? So it's the first day of, of Lent. Lent is this 40-day season. It's actually kind of 46 because we take Sundays off. Sunday is a feast day. Sunday is like a mini Easter. So you don't have to fast or do anything on Sunday. But, but on Wednesday, we're starting this five-day fast. And if you've been here for a few years, we know we've done this for a few years. Again, if you're visiting or new, they're like, what are we talking about? A five-day fast. Well, we're just encouraging you to take an opportunity to maybe fast from or abstain from some food or maybe some, some luxury, either food or, or entertainment, like maybe a Netflix or a social media or what have you for these five days. And, and my encouragement is maybe find a, a level that would challenge you for those five days. So maybe that is skipping a snack. Maybe for some people it's, it's skipping a meal. Maybe it's skipping an entire day's worth of meals. Where it's, this, it's not a one-size-fits-all type of deal because we all come into this very different with varying levels of experience, varying levels of, of comfort with the idea of fasting for, for five days. But what I would encourage you to do if you've, if you've never participated with us in this before is on your way out today is grab one of these journals. They're right on the table by the door. They're going to give you some, just some insight into fasting, some insight into this five-day fast. And there's even a page in there where you can just determine this is what I'm going to fast from on day one. This is what we're going to fast from on day two, day three, day four, and day five. And then in the back of it, there's just some devotionals that we will be reading through together. If we all have one of these, if you haven't grabbed one yet, grab one on the way out. And then on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we'll each be reading the same passage of Scripture, some of the same devotional thoughts, and having the same opportunity to encounter Jesus in those moments. And then next Sunday, we're going to come into this place and we're going to, to break that fast. Again, it's, it's a mini Easter. We're going to have communion. We're even going to try to have like real bread. So we'll have, we'll have some just completely sealed options as well. But, but we're going to, to feast on the body of Christ after we have fasted and pressed into his presence. And again, I know this might sound like a lot. It might sound overwhelming. Just I encourage you in, in these days, in these five days, maybe just consider a small step into it. And then if you're here next year, it'll take another step and we'll just grow in this whole thing together. But the hope in all of this is that really it's just leaning us into this, this season of Lent. And I realize that, like, I'll talk about this a little bit more this morning, but that's not all of our tradition. 
We didn't all grow up in, in a church that practiced Lent or practiced the, the church calendar or even maybe Advent or some of those things. So there's some, some learning involved. And so if you don't know much about that, let me point you to, again, our website, journeysherwood.org. And there's a page that says uh, Lent. I think it's, yeah, journeysherwood.org slash Lent. And a ton of resources that you just will help you to learn, understand what these 40 days are intended to be, days of, of self-reflection, days of of repentance, days of leaning into the presence of Jesus. It's this invitation into this tangible journey, this walk with Jesus towards the cross and towards Easter. And it's actually something that we can do together. So I encourage you to, to check that out, to take advantage of the opportunity to, to lean in. And then for those of you who are participating in the five-day fast, let me just give you one more thing and then we'll, we'll dive right into the passage today. Is that this idea of a, of a fast often feels like we're just being asked to abstain from something, right? Food or, or entertainment or, or what have you. But let me encourage you to not only abstain from something, but find some ways to add some things in. And one of those things that I would encourage you to add in in this, those five days is, is prayer. You would not only abstain from some things, but you would be contending for some things, for some people, for some families, for some communities, for some countries. Like there's plenty that we could be contending for in these days. Here's the four things that I'm going to be contending for. And I've mentioned them before uh, a few, well, it's probably six or seven Sundays ago. But I'm going to be contending that the Lord would change me first. And that would be my encouragement to you. Like say, Lord, just start with me. Let's just change me. And then we'll worry about changing the world. But change me first. And then praying next would be like praying your kingdom come and your will be done. And, and really that means like praying for things like justice, peace, joy, salvation, belonging, the presence of God. Like praying into those things and, and trusting in the will of God in the midst of it all. And then the third thing to be praying for would, would be that grace and truth, that they would overtake and overcome hate and division. I mean, I can't, like I've mentioned this the last time I mentioned this. Like I can't think of a better thing for us to be contending for in our homes, in our communities, in our country, and in our world right now. And then the last thing would just be to be praying for waves of the miraculous, that the Lord would do things more, like do more than we could ask, think, or even imagine in the days ahead. Again, in our homes, in our church, in our communities, and beyond. That's kind of all I got. I'm going to pray and going to go home. I'm done. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But that's this week. It starts Wednesday, the five-day fast. It'll go by fast. <laughs> and then we'll enjoy um, the, re the rest of the 40 days of Lent together. Now, this morning, we're jumping back into the series that we've been in for months now. It's a series where we're looking at the Gospel of John. And we, right now, we're calling the series Come and Believe. But early in the series, we were calling it Come and See. And now it's Come and Believe and if you were here last week, you know we jumped into John chapter 9. Now, I'm just going to give you a quick review of what happened in John chapter 9 because we're going to finish the rest of that chapter today. We did the first seven verses last week. We're going to do about 30 verses today. So we got, we got some work to do and I'm running out of time already. So in John chapter 9, it says that Jesus was kind of along his way. He had just been stoned, or not stoned, sorry. They were getting ready to stone Jesus. We would remember that part if that was actually in the Bible. But they had, they had gotten ready to stone Jesus, and he, and he left. And it says, as he's walking along, he comes along a man who was born blind. And we talked last week how it, this tells us that Jesus saw this man, that Jesus saw this real person, this real human, that he not only saw this real person and human, but he saw his condition. 
And he saw and knew his story, that he had been born blind, and that not only that, but that, that was his, like his whole life, a, a life of, of need, a life of needing help, a life of, of maybe desiring healing. And when they saw him, when the, Jesus and his disciples saw him, they started asking questions like, like, who sinned, his parents or this man, that he would be born blind? And Jesus said, neither of them did. This was done so that we might accomplish the works of God, the glory of God in this, in this moment. And Jesus goes on to say, like, I am the light of the world, and while I am here, I will be shining my light into this place and space. And then he, if you remember, he, he took some spit. I used the word spittle last week. I won't use it much today. But he took some spit and made some mud, wiped it on the eyes of the blind man, and said, go and, and wash in the pool of Siloam. He goes, he washes, and he goes home healed. He comes home seeing with sight to his eyes. And that's where we pick up this morning in John chapter 9, starting in verse 8, where the, the blind man ends up back at home. So here's what it says in, in John chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. It says, His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted... I am the man. <laughs> it sounds like he was breaking, like I'm, but he's not. How then were your eyes open, they said. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to, to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been bo- born blind now, that day on which Jesus had healed him and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. So here in, in this moment, in this part of the story, the, the focus take, comes off of Jesus and it moves on to the blind man, again, kind of, but really into like those who were going to be asking questions about what happened. And, and that's what comes out first is they ask this question that gets asked about four times in the rest of this story. What happened to you? How did it, this happen that you now see if, if you were born blind? And he gives a simple answer. We saw it and he says, the man called Jesus. He put mud on my eyes. He told me to go and wash. I went and washed. I came home seeing. It was a very simple answer. It was a, a, a good question, but maybe not the most important question. Because they were more concerned about what Jesus did, breaking the Sabbath, like doing something he wasn't supposed to do, instead of who Jesus was. They were more focused on what he was doing rather than who Jesus was. And, and this whole situation, and because of that, this whole situation just seemed really intense, didn't it? Like almost unexpectedly that they would actually start, they would grab the guy. I don't know if they grabbed him, but they took him to the Pharisees and then the Pharisees start asking these questions. I mean, I think my first response, and it's not recorded in John, I don't know if it actually would have happened, but my first response to this blind man would have been like, congratulations, man, patting him on the back, high-fiving, and just celebrating. Like, this would have been a moment that would have needed to be celebrated. It would actually have been an opportunity for God to be praised. But instead of praising God, instead of celebrating, they didn't do any of these things. They just 
asked a question. Like, what is it that happened? What did he do that you can now see? They were focused more on the question than on who Jesus was. And they were divided about it. All of these Pharisees, they were divided about what was going on. Like, they, they couldn't reconcile this whole situation. They knew that Jesus had done something on the Sabbath, so that would have made him a sinner. But they also knew that Jesus had done something that no one had ever heard being done before. So how could a sinner do that? How could a a man of God accomplish that? And so without an answer, they just said, well, why don't we ask the the blind guy? They're like, so, I mean, he opened your eyes. What do you say? And he says, I think he's a prophet. Now, when he says, I think he's a prophet, basically what he's saying is, is I think he's significant. I think this man is special. I think this guy has, is connected to God. He did something that no one has ever done before, so he must be a man of God. But he only calls him a prophet because he really, he really doesn't know who Jesus is, at least not yet. And I think we'll get there in, in the moments to come. So now back to the story, verse 18 through 34 as it picks up, it says, they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who was blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, I was blind. But now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did this happen to your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God speaks to, spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. So now they bring mom and dad into the situation, right? They bring mom and dad into the situation. And you can tell as they're walking in, we don't, I mean, John doesn't point this out, but they're nervous. Like they, you can just tell they're probably scared, right? This is, this is like maybe the first time they had been to the principal's office. You know that feeling? Or maybe the first time you had been pulled over if you've never, if you never got sent to the principal's office. Some of us know what that feels like, but others of us maybe know what it was like the first time that we got pulled over. And if, and if you're perfect, if you're really holy, you've never experienced any of those things. But either way, like maybe you've been in a situation where you know or you knew that someone else held your fate in their hands. And that's what the way they felt. And so they came in scared. They came in nervous. They came in worried about this, these Pharisees. And why did they feel, feel this way? 
it's because they probably knew what had already taken place. They probably already knew that their son, I mean, it's, it, it, the word travels fast, right? They had to have known that their son, who they had given birth to, blind, now he could see. And there's no doubt that they knew that Jesus was involved. And that if, if Jesus was involved, then, then this was, A, probably problematic, because the Pharisees had already said anyone that acknowledges that he is the Messiah is, is going to get kicked out of the church but also they knew that a, a man healing someone born blind, a man offering sight, this is what the Messiah was intended to do. And so they came in afraid to answer the questions. And so then when they were asked the question, is this your son who was born blind? They're like, yeah, I, it, we can confirm that, right? But then when they said, so how did this happen? What happened that he was healed and he could now see when he, when he couldn't when he was born? They're like, well, he's of age. Why don't you just ask him? And you know the guy's probably in the back like saying, thanks, mom and dad. I really appreciate the, the help. And, and so they kind of exit stage left, and they bring this man who was born blind back in. And here's what he admits. Here's what he confesses to them. He says, he says you know what? I, I actually don't know that much about Jesus. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I, I, at this point, he's probably like, I couldn't even point him out of a crowd. He probably still hasn't even seen Jesus. We are, we're going to get to that at the end of this of this story, he says, but here's the one thing that I know, because it's the one thing that I experienced. I was blind, but now I can see. Man, I won't spend too much time on this, because there's a lot more that I got to say this morning, but, but if you're looking for a, an apologetic, if you're looking for a way to defend your faith, if you're looking for a way to explain to someone, like, who Jesus is, Sometimes it's hard to try to find all the right answers in, in the Bible. Sometimes it's hard to find the right theological answers to give to someone or even to answer some of the hard questions about why we have war in our world, why we have tragedy in our community. We can't answer all of those questions, but the answer that we should be able to answer, Peter talks about it in, in 1 Peter when he says, know the hope that you have in Jesus. Like we should be able to answer the question like, what has Jesus done for you? This man says, I know what I know about Jesus because I know that I was blind, but now I see. And that might be a question that we need to ask ourselves. Like, what has Jesus done for me lately? And not in like a, man, Jesus, what have you done for me lately? But more like, Jesus, what are you doing in me now? Like, what is the last thing that I could go to someone and say, I know that I was blind in this area now I see. I used to be addicted to this thing, and now I'm free. Like, has something, and it doesn't have to be that significant. It doesn't have to be a miracle. It could just be a next step. Man, I used to, I used to watch way too much Netflix, but now I'm actually reading my Bible a little bit more. Like, those are the things, those are the things like Jesus is doing something in my life, and I know that I know because it happened to me. Okay, back to the Back to the story. It's at this point when he kind of gets things get a little snarky, right, in the story, when they kind of go back and forth and they're, no, you're, you're going to be a disciple of Jesus. No, you want to be a disciple of, of Jesus. Right? We're disciples of all that stuff, right? And, and eventually what happens, he just gets kicked out. They, they force him out. And really what's happening to him is what his parents feared, that he was going to be like, excommunicated from the church, like not just like exited out the door, but exited out of the community. And I don't think we can even grasp how significant that is. Like if I, again, I just don't think we understand like how tight knit the, the 
body, the synagogue, the church, whatever you would call it, was in, in this moment, in this cultural moment. But nonetheless, they, they kicked him out. So back to the story, chapter 9, verse 35 through 41, we're, we're at the end. And here's what happens. It says, Jesus heard that he had been thrown out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see your guilt, it remains. So all of this, all that we've read so far in chapter 9, right? Jesus on a walk with his disciples, seeing a man born blind, questions about sin, sending him to the pool of Siloam, like after he'd smeared mud on his eyes and him coming back, seeing, standing up for Jesus and then getting sent out or, or kicked out of the synagogue. Now here we have Jesus hearing about it and he goes looking for it. It says that he, he found the man after he'd been thrown out of, of the synagogue, right? And when someone is, is looking for, has found something, if they found something, that means they had to have been searching for it. And we only really search for the things that A, we've lost, and B, that are valuable to us. So we know this about this man, that one, he, Jesus was worried about that he might be, might be lost, and two, that, that this man, he was valuable. He, was, he mattered to Jesus. He was worthy, worthwhile, he had worth in the eyes of Jesus because it says that Jesus found him. And Jesus asks him the question that John has been like leading us to, pointing us to, taking us to in this entire gospel. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now that term, Son of Man, it's, it's one that maybe is confusing for us. It's, it's a title that was, is given to Jesus. It's actually the title that Jesus used most often for himself. It's how he self-designated himself, right? He's like, this is the name he would use when he was talking about himself most often. In John's gospel, it comes up about 11 times. This is actually the ninth time that it comes up in John's gospel. And the, this, war, this phrase, this title, son of man, it has kind of this, this mixture, this, this combination, this, this essence of combining heaven and earth together. It's really like a word that really points to the intersection between heaven and earth. Now, you might remember the first time that we saw this phrase, son of man, being used in the gospel of John. It's back in John chapter 1 when, when we see Philip uh, is found by Jesus. It says, Jesus found Philip, and he says, come and, and follow me. So Philip's like, sure, this sounds perfect. And, but he, he goes and finds his friend, Nathaniel. He says, Nathaniel, I, we found the one that Moses has been talking about, like, Let's go and, and, and he says his name is, is Jesus and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, is anything, can anything good come out of, out of Nazareth? And, and he's like, well, come and see. And so Nathaniel comes and Jesus says, oh, hey, you are, you are a worthy man. He kind of uses a, a phrase that you are, you are excellent or praiseworthy. I can't remember the word he used. It doesn't really matter. But then 
Nathanael's like, how do you know me? And Jesus said, well, when I saw you under the fig tree, I, I knew this was who you were. And, and Nathanael drops, and he's like, similar to the blind man, he just worships and says, you are the son of God. You are the, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says this in John chapter 1, verse 51. He says, you will see greater things than that, than, than me just seeing you under a tree. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's saying that you're going to see me do some things that, that is an example of, of heaven invading earth. There are going to be some signs that I'm going to perform, and John captures seven of them in this gospel, like when Jesus turns water to wine. When Jesus walks on the water, when Je- Jesus heals the, the official son, when Jesus heals the paralyzed man, when Jesus multiplies the bread, and when Jesus heals a man who is born blind, he says, what you're seeing is heaven invading earth in this moment. What you are seeing is, is the son of man. You are seeing the intersection between God and humanity in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Like, this is what you're seeing, and in this one phrase, Son of man, do you believe in the Son of man? And not understanding that question, he just says, I, I don't know, where is he? Like, who is he? Show me, I want, I want to believe. And Jesus says, basically he says, you're looking right at him. The one you were talking to him, the one you were talking to, is, it's him. And it says the man fell on his, on his knees. He, well, it says that he worshiped, but that means that he, he got on his knees and he says, Lord, I, I believe. So in this moment, like, it all came together. Like, he's realizing all of a sudden, like, here's the same man that, that saw me in my, my worst place, who, who anointed me with mud and, and spit, sent me to, to wash and get help from others. And then he, after I've been, like, kind of not tortured, but tormented by those who are supposed to be my religious leaders, and they kick me out because I'm just being honest about what took place, this guy comes and finds me. He sees me again, and this is the one. This is the one who, who healed me. This is the one who, who was that, that intersection between heaven and earth. This, this is the one that, that did something that no person has ever heard of before. And his only response was to worship. His only response was to, to fall down on his knees and, and proclaim, Yes, Lord, I believe. And so that's what he did in, in that moment. And it's interesting, Jesus didn't stop him. He didn't say, get up, it's okay, I'm trying to keep this undercover. No, he just let him worship. He just let him do what he needed to do. He just let it take place. In fact, right after that, right, maybe as the guy is worshiping, it says that, that Jesus basically starts talking. And it's, it's almost as if he's talking to the crowd of people that are around him. It, certainly his disciples were there. I, I think certainly some Pharisees were probably following around, wanting to see what's going to happen. And so to all of these people, here's what, Jesus says, he says, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who, will see, who see will become blind. Now, this sounds a little confusing. It almost sounds like a, a riddle, but what Jesus is doing here is, is he's, he's teaching and he's clarifying reality. And this is what the presence of Jesus does. This is what we have seen in and throughout this gospel story. The way John tells this story is that the presence of Jesus, it divides the world into those who come to the light and allow it to heal and allow it to direct their lives and allow it to change them. Basically, like, these are the people that are coming to the light and they're the blind who will then see. So Jesus' presence divides those 
who are coming to light from those who resist the light. Those who choose to remain in darkness. And that, who's Jesus, that is who Jesus refers to as those who, will, who see but will become blind. You see, those who are coming towards the light, they will then be able to see those who are remaining in the darkness, those who are moving away from the light. It's, they are becoming blind, like they're seeing less and less the longer they spend in the darkness. Now, last week, I asked you to inject yourself. You were, I mean, I just shouldn't have cut off that sentence right there. Last week, if you were here, I asked you to inject yourself into the story of the blind man. To place yourself in that story as if maybe you weren't blind, but you were you. And you came in with your own condition. You came in as you were and with your own story about how long you had been in that place. And honestly, I know that the Lord met me in that, and I sensed that he was meeting many of us in those moments last Sunday here in this, in this place. And it's my hope that, that we've all had an opportunity similar to that, to where we could experience the kind of soul healing, eye-opening, life-changing, miraculous encounter with Jesus that leads us to fall on our knees, that leads us to, to only, our only res- response is to worship and say, yes, Lord, I believe. That's, my hope is that we would all have those kind of moments similar to what the opportunity maybe we had last Sunday. But today, I think we might be better off to, to come at it from the, the other side and to consider the questions that the Pharisees asked at the end of the story when they said, what? Are we blind too? Like, maybe we ask this, what? Am, am I blind too? You see, they had spent all of of their time asking about what Jesus had done. Like, that's the question that they kept asking, right? Like, what did he do? How did he do this? What what was he doing? Instead of asking the question and and instead of seeing who Jesus was. You see, they had chosen to remain in in the darkness. And they didn't even realize that they were their own blindness or that they were they were, in a sense, going blind. And this was one of the main problems for the Pharisees is, is this idea of, of what some would call a, a religious spirit. Now, when I say that, I might, you might be like, okay, are you talking about like, like spirits, like weird things? I, like, no, I mean just like an attitude, like a, a religious attitude. Let me give you a definition of what that is. A religious spirit, a religious attitude, or a spirit of religion is a shift from joyful obedience in God and a transformed life to simply doing the right things and abstaining from the wrong ones. The spirit of religion only allows for outward righteousness. It does not transform the person or the heart. Rather, it puts on a front and an appearance that is no greater than skin deep. You see, the line between relationship and religion, it tends to get thinner the longer we, well, in our example, follow Jesus. But for the Pharisees, the longer that they were in this relationship or religion with God, the longer they were in it, the, the, the thinner that line between the two, between relationship and religion, it just kind of started getting shorter and shorter until it all became religious. 
It all just became a, a religious spirit. It all just became a, a religious attitude. And so it is with us that the longer we follow Jesus, the more we are susceptible to a, a spirit of religion, an, an attitude of religion, a religious attitude, simply going through the motions and, and then faking this, this vibrant relationship with Jesus. Can you relate to that at all? I mean, I know I've had seasons where I can, where I just felt like I'm just going through the motions. I know the religious things that I need to do, but I don't feel like I'm, I'm in that relationship that I need to be in with with my Savior. And maybe even this morning or maybe last week or maybe it'll be next week, you can, you can relate to the, being in this attitude, in this season, in this, in this spirit of, of just religiosity. The Pharisees certainly were, and it's, I think it can be problematic to us, but the problem is, is that maybe we can't even detect it. Maybe we don't even know that that's a problem us because it's something that's hard to detect. It's actually something, it's like, it's kind of like bad breath, like somewhat hard to detect. Like we have no problem detecting someone else's bad breath. Like I, I can tell you when I'm in, in a room with someone with bad breath, and, and yet I have a hard time knowing if my own breath stinks, which is amazing because like the distance between my mouth and my nose is, is so very short. And in fact, no matter what your take is on, on masks, and we all just agree that one benefit over the last two years is that we haven't had to smell as much bad breath lately. I mean, like an amen for that. Like that's, that's been kind of good. But isn't it amazing? Like no matter how much I wear my mask, I still can't tell that my breath stinks typically. If it's really bad, like if I, I mean, if I go straight from like just waking up and putting a mask on, maybe. But like just on the average day, like I can't detect my own breath. And we can't always detect this attitude of religion, this religious spirit within us. And so what's the best way to find out if... <laughs> If your breath stinks, it's, it's to ask someone. And so what's the best way to determine if maybe I'm ha- I have this religious spirit? It's probably to, to ask somebody. Am I blind too? Am I just religious? Do I have a religious spirit? Does my breath stink and I don't even know it? Am I just going through the motions of religious activity and am I just faking this relationship with Jesus? And the question is like, so who do we ask? We can ask friends, family, you can ask your pastor. You could, if you're in a small group, you can ask your small group. And those are great places to start. But really, this is a conversation that we should be having with Jesus. And that sounds weird, like to have this personal conversation with Jesus. But I think as we lean into the opportunity to talk to Jesus about this, he will reveal to us the state of our heart. He will reveal the state of, of our spirit, of, of our attitude. He will let us know if we are in a place of, of religious attitude and religious spirit. And if so, if he does, let us know, like, what is it that we can do about it? And here's where we'll kind of land today. At the beginning of the service, I mentioned that this, this Wednesday is, is Ash Wednesday, which, again, it begins the, the season of Lent. It's this 40-day, this journey, this tangible walk with Jesus towards the cross, ending at the celebration of Easter. It's a season, like I mentioned, of, of self-reflection, of repentance, and of humility, and to be honest, like I said, I, I've never actually been to a, an Ash Wednesday service. I didn't grow up in a church that practiced that tradition. I haven't like, leaned into that opportunity. But I can tell you that over the last 
uh, seven years, I have grown in my appreciation, my depth of understanding, and my desire to participate in, in things that go, follow along the church calendar, things like Advent, things like Lent, things like Holy Week, some of these things that, that, that depending on the tradition you grow up, you may not have experienced before and may not have participated in before. But as we've been getting ready for this five-day fast, and as we've been trying to provide resources for, for you to prepare for that and to also prepare for this, these 40 days of Lent, I know that I've grown in, in my understanding specifically in, in this area and idea and understanding of, of Ash Wednesday. And the practice of actually putting the ashes on someone's forehead. I don't know, again, if, if that's ever been your experience, if you've ever been to a church that does that. Again, I, I haven't, but... But here's the thing about it, is that ashes, they're a sign of, of repentance, and they're a sign of, of mourning. We see this in, in, especially in the Old Testament, we see it in the story of Esther, we see it in, in Job, we see it in, in Jonah, when people either are repenting, or they're praying hard, or they're mourning, they, they put on sackcloth and, and ashes, right? And so this, it, it have this essence to them. And Ash Wednesday, as, as the start of Lent, it's designed to actually reorient us to the, the reality of, of who we are. Like, listen to what it says in Genesis 3.19. It says, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You see, apart from God's grace, we are simply dust. But it's God's grace that gives us hope for more. It's hope that's actually symbolized by the ashes that take the shape of the cross on your forehead. Where you, this is what I read and what I understood. In fact, if you were looking for a great book on Lent, The Good of Giving Up, fantastic. I read it in about two days. It's, it's great. But here's the thing is, is like when they put the, the ashes on, they, you know, they dip their thumb in the ash and then they put a, a vertical line on your forehead representing divinity representing God, representing the Holy One. And then they put a horizontal line across your forehead representing humanity, representing us. And in it is this beautiful depiction, this beautiful picture of the intersection between God and man, the intersection between heaven and earth. In that we see the cross, which is the place where Christ paid the price so that we might actually be able to experience the intersection between God and man, between God and, and humanity. And it was a high cost. And that's why we enter into these 40 days of Lent in repentance, like changing the way we see ourselves and see our humanity and see our, our, our sin and, and our selfishness, all of these things. And we move it towards repentance and we move towards humility and, and self-reflection. And, and all the while, we're moving towards Easter, we're moving towards the resurrection. And as these ashes, as they're, they're being administered onto people's foreheads, here's what the, the pastor or the priest would say. He says, remember, or she, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return, but for the grace of Christ. In the Anglican church, afterwards, they'll say this prayer together. They'll say, Almighty God, you have created us out of dust out of the dust of earth. Grant that these ashes may be to us a sign of our mortality and penitence, which is just sorrow for what you've done, that we may remember that it is only by your gracious gift that we are given everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
Amen. You see, as we approach the start of Land with Ash Wednesday, we have this unique opportunity to move towards the light. We have this unique opportunity to come to the light and allow it to change us, allow it to, to heal us, and allow it to direct our lives. Because here's the thing, the light of Christ, it's not, it not only reveals our brokenness, but at the same time, it actually reveals our belovedness. And in the same moment, it actually brings healing in that process. As we see our, our brokenness and our belovedness coming together on the cross of Christ, there's healing in that process. And that's our hope in this season. That as we arrive at Easter after 40 days, a 40-day journey through Lent, that we would arrive at Easter excited, prepared, ready, you name it, but we are, we, are, we are there to celebrate Easter. We are there to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and at the same time celebrating the resurrection of us. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up. And as I do, I want to share with you one other prayer. This is a, a prayer that a friend of mine um, put together. It's a prayer for Lent. Um, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to invite you to pray it with me. So just listen, maybe mindfully or carefully or prayerfully as, as I read this to you, and then I'll ask you to consider praying it with me. Here I am, Lord, in ashes and darkness. I am grieving my losses. I am admitting my brokenness. I am confronting my excuses. I am recognizing my limits. I am realizing my sins. I am releasing my control. In the hope of resurrection, I am trusting in your mercy. I am accepting your will. I am receiving your grace. I am abiding in your love. I am seeking your guidance. I am trusting in your provision. Help me embrace my cross and follow you, believing that the road on which you are taking me will lead me to goodness and life. Would you stand with me? And if you'd like, I want to just invite you to, to pray this prayer with me. We'll just pray it together. We'll pray it in, in unison as, as best we can. Here I am, Lord, in ashes and darkness, I am grieving my losses. I am admitting my brokenness. I am confronting my excuses. I am recognizing my limits. I am realizing my sins. I am releasing my control. In the hope of your resurrection, I am trusting in your mercy. I am accepting your will. I am receiving your grace. I am abiding in your love. I am seeking your guidance. I am trusting in your provision. Help me embrace my cross and follow you, believing that on the road on which you are taking me will lead me to goodness and life. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet saved a wretch like me I once was
that it might seem a little bit strange to spend so much time on, on a Sunday morning talking about something like Ash Wednesday and Lent that, that isn't actually even fi- found in, bi- in the Bible, right? It's not found in Scripture. But, but you know what we see in Scripture is it's the path of Lent. We see a path of, of fasting, of giving, and of prayer. We see a path of, of self-reflection and humility and repentance and to be honest, it's, it's the path of Jesus. He's called us to, to follow him. And, and so I just, in, in all of this, I encourage you just to maybe take a step, like a, a simple step into it as you feel comfortable. And if, honestly, if you have questions, or you, again, if you're looking for a good book, I've got some resources for you, let me know. And on your way out, let me encourage you to, if you haven't yet, grab a, a journal and participate in some small way, if that's where you feel comfortable, in this five-day fast with us starting on Wednesday. Wednesday through Sunday, and on Sunday we'll take communion here and we'll break that fast together. Now this morning I want to just send you out with a, kind of a benediction out of Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God bless you as you go. We'll see you next week.